Thank you so much for just worshiping with all your heart. Every week, say, you know, I want to enter into a greater sense of praise. I want to worship God more than I did last week with greater passion, with greater desire. And it'll make a tremendous difference, not just in our service, but in your life personally too as well. This morning I felt uh, God, (laughs) when I feel, hold on one second. When I feel the presence of God, I want to cry. There's a scripture that um, God reminded me of. It's in um, Isaiah's, the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. I believe it's in verse 17. And with Isaiah, the prophet said, For he, God, will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord will drive along. And the Spirit of God said to me this morning, that that's ready to happen. That there is a pent-up flood of God that he is going to release into our nation, into the world today. And it's almost like he's holding it back. It's like a, it's being pent up. It's a, but when it comes, it's going to come like a flood. A powerful, we're going to see the most powerful move of God we have ever seen in the history of the world. We will see it. And when that comes, and when he comes, you're going to know it. But I feel that God is saying, prepare the church. Prepare the church. This is the day of preparation. These are times of preparation. This is the day. This is the season of the king. It's the season of warfare. It's the season of the church rising up to be what it was designed, called, created to be. Amen? Amen. And you are so much a part of the church because you are the church. Maybe you don't think you're so much in the eyes of God, but I want to tell you, you are very valuable in the eyes of God. No matter who you are, each one of you, so precious, so important, so loved by God, God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. Amen? We are living in the most exciting times that I think we could ever live in. And I could keep going on, but I want to preach this word to you. Is that okay? And it might be a little bit longer, so hold on, fasten your seatbelts. We're ready to take off. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering people this morning. Thank you for people watching online. I believe that you want to speak to us. You want to take this word and make it come alive. I believe this word is meant to be a sword of the spirit, alive. The now word, the rhema word. The sword of the spirit, which penetrates soul and spirit, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Help us to take this word that we hear with our mind and put it right to our feet and live it out for the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I'm just getting over a cold, so I'm going to cough a little bit. But I'm feeling really good. Okay. Are you ready? I got to get a piece of Kleenex because my nose is still running. Hold on a sec. Because it's crying. (laughs) Okay. Let's jump into it. The title of my message this morning is called 
the kingdom invitation. Kingdom invitation. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. It says, right after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, these were Jesus' very first public words. And you've got to believe that he chose these words very carefully. He said, the time has come. In other words, something is about to happen. Something new, something different. And that something is the kingdom of God. Now, when the first century Jewish people, Jews, heard that phrase, kingdom of God, immediately they thought of a political kingdom centered in Jerusalem. Now, when we hear that phrase today, many of us think of the kingdom of God as being a place, like we think of heaven. But, you know, we're both wrong. The kingdom of God is not a time or a place. Remember Jesus said, the disciples said, show us the kingdom. And Jesus said, I can't, because the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not a time or a place. The kingdom of God is a life lived under the power, the authority, and the rule of the king. When Jesus announced that the kingdom of God had come near, what he was announcing was that this new better life was available, not in some distant place or some distant future, but right now, here and now, a life with a new dimension and a new dynamic they had never seen before. And Paul expressed and, t- and said about the kingdom of God to the Romans, 14 verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, It's not an ordinary, everyday thing. Not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See that dimension, that brand new dimension. He said to the Corinthians, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's of what? Power. Power. And it starts with Jesus. He comes from heaven to earth. He invades this place. Full of darkness, he brings the light of God's truth and God's blessing to the world. And he comes to bring his kingdom, his rule, his power, his provision, his resources, and his purpose into our lives. The kingdom of God is your purpose. Amen? But in order for us to experience this kingdom life, Jesus said we have to do two things. What did he say? What's the first two things? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent. We know that repent means literally to turn around from one thing and turn to another thing. But the question is, turn from what? We know. We typically understand repent as repenting from sin or something that we do wrong, which is really important that we do. It's, it's appropriate. God wants to turn us to turn from our sins. But there's more to repent from than from just sin here in this case. As someone said, to repent, and this is on your PowerPoint, to repent is to turn away 
from what you're currently, what you're doing, and embrace wholeheartedly what God is doing. In other words, next, next, next slide. It means to trade in your old way of life so that God's new way of life can be accepted. That's what he means when he says repent. Believe and repent. Repent. Then he says believe. To experience kingdom life, we have to believe that this type of life is possible for you and I right now. We have to believe it. To believe, you know, that word of believe, that word believe is an interesting word too because it means more than just an intellectual assent. To believe, believing isn't, isn't just understanding and agreeing. And on your, on your screen, to believe is to act upon something and to enter into it. It's such an important word that... Let me illustrate. <clears throat> Give you an illustration. Um, let's say you're a person who's afraid of flying. So therefore, you've never, ever been able to get on an airplane. Now, you've been intrigued with flying, and you know that everybody else is doing it, but you have this fear. So you do decide to do some investigation. So you get together with some friends who like to fly, and you, like to, and you ask them and to tell you about their experience. Uh, and then <clears throat> you read and you learn that actually flying is one of the safest ways to travel. And then you join a fear of flying club a flying group, where you get together and you, you discuss all your fears, you ask the questions, and then eventually you come to this place where you actually believe that it's safe to fly. And it's one of the best, you know, it's an efficient way to travel. So what do you do? You buy a ticket. You go to the airport. You, you find that gateway. You start walking along the jetway to get on that plane. And you're just about ready to step over that gap into that plane when suddenly your eyes are fixed on the nuts, some nuts and bolts that are holding this airplane together. You look down and you see this mechanic and he's working on something. And, and you realize at that moment that between you getting into that plane is this little gap and as soon as you cross this lap, you step over that gap, that gap, you are stepping into a new reality. And at that last second, you refuse to go. And you say, you know, I can't go. I will not go. So, question. Do you really believe that flying is safe? You may understand that flying is safe, and you may even... You know, entertain the thought that, yeah, it's a good way to travel. But here's the thing. Until you enter that plane, you really don't believe in flying. Isn't that right? In the same way, you haven't really believed in the good news until you've stepped over that gap, that gap and entered into this new reality called the kingdom of God. Until you, uh, in other words, until you have actually surrendered yourself to the control, not of a pilot now, but to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. In other words, until you and I allow Jesus 
to be Lord and King of our life. Someone said, he's either, you know, and, and do that daily. He's either King of all or he's not King at all. And this is a big step. Allowing Jesus Christ to truly be Lord of our lives every single day is such an important thing for us to do. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 18. 4, verse 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew, two brothers, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Let's talk about fishing. Fishing in first century Galilee was actually a very profitable and a very respectable business. There were plenty of mouths to feed, and there was plenty of fish in the lake, in the sea. So you've got to see, these guys, you know, they weren't paupers, they weren't losers. Actually, they were probably making a pretty good living. I mean, they had families, they had homes. Uh, they probably went bowling on Saturday nights, if that's what they did, and, you know, what they did, whatever they did for fun in Capernaum. But here's the point. Here's the point. If you ask them how they were doing, they would probably respond with a smile on their face, well, you know what? I'm living, you know, it's a, it's, life is good. I'm living a pretty good life. Fishing, that was their life. That was their box. That was their world. But then suddenly, all of a sudden, but then, Jesus comes along and he interrupts them and their, and their, their lives and their work with a very surprising invitation. And he says this, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. The next verse, verse 20, says that once they left their nets and followed him. At once. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the the boat, their father and their father, and they followed him. You know, there's words that kind of just stand out to you in these, verse, in these verses. You know what they are? At once. Immediately. Immediately. Those words. And they come right after Jesus says, come, follow me. And that's what the disciples did. They just got up and they just started following the strange new rabbi. And the response, the response is so immediate, so immediate, that, it's, that the response is striking. Jesus says, follow me, and these hard-working fishermen suddenly just drop their nets. You know, like, you know, some, someone said, it thundered when their nets hit the ground. And the sounds of their nets hitting the ground literally echoed and got the attention of heaven. Suddenly dropped their, they, they dropped their nets. Like when you think about it, so many others in history also dropped their nets. They dropped their tools or they left their goals or they dropped their agendas or they dropped, even left businesses. And they, all, they, they did that and they go following after Jesus. Now, <clears throat> and I've said this before, I'll say it again. You know, when we read stories like this, you know, we can't help but feel, you know, that there's something maybe about this response that's not normal. That 
this runs against normal human nature. Like who would just, you know, somebody comes along, and I, you know, I came along and I said to you, hey, come follow me. You wouldn't just leave your job, uh, leave your home, um, close out your bank account, give it to the poor, and just follow me. It's, it's not a normal human response, is it? Just come, follow me. Now, we, I know that Jesus is not any ordinary person. I'm not trying to say that. But when I think about this response, you, you have to think that there's something about this response that runs against human nature, and that is until you read the words that come next. And this very next part in this chapter is the context for the first part. Verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, People and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. Large crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when you read these words, you know what? You get it. You get it. This explains the immediacy of response, which isn't really all that immediate when you think about it, because these disciples are willing to get up and follow Jesus. You know why? Because they had seen with their own two eyes what Jesus, Jesus could do with the life that was put into his hands. They saw his transforming power. They saw what Jesus could do with people in pain. They saw what Jesus could do. The people were, were so struggling in life where they had no peace that they could hardly cope. And he brought peace to their soul. He saw people drive out demons, set them free. He saw, peop- he, he saw people being healed. He saw limbs growing back. I mean, they, they, I mean they, they saw these incredible things. You know, and John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. And Jesus says, that's why I've come. And that's the type of life that I want to take you to. Amen? That's the life I want to take you to. You know, they had seen how Jesus could transform any and every life and make it healthy and whole again. And that's why they followed him. Because that's what they wanted. They wanted to go into that type of kingdom. Amen? Amen. So, let's bring it down to us today. Let me make it more personal to us. How about you? How about you? How about you? Are you interested in a fuller life than what you may have settled into? What if God can take you to a life of new beginnings? What if he could take you from boredom to watching the clock tick by to waking up every single morning just exhilarated because you know that God is going to use you to make an impact, a difference in somebody else's life? You know, what if, what if you could be so close to Jesus, so close to God that you not didn't just know about him, 
but you can know him as your very best friend. Amen? You know, do you, maybe that's actually what Jesus is inviting us into when he says, come follow me. Come follow me. This is not just an invitation. It's a call to adventure. And I don't, I don't, <clears throat> and I admit sometimes my life gets a little bit boring. And there's a reason why my life is boring. Because I'm not following Jesus as closely as I could, as I possibly could. Because I'm not maybe holding back from doing the things that he's asking me to do. Life has never been to, meant to be that way. Life in the kingdom of God is called to be an adventure. You read about what happened, what Jesus did with his disciples. And as you read it, you'll find that he literally leads them into this wild, unpredictable, magnificent, transforming journey with him. Amen? That's what he does. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 22, says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. It seems like the, the disciples got so caught up with the crowd that Jesus has to make them get into the boat. So when they got into that boat, you know what happened? They hid out. They got, it, they, they got caught in an incredible storm. Incredible storm. And the disciples are yelling, Lord, don't you care about us? We're going to drown. <clears throat> so we get the picture here. Jesus took them away from the crowd. And where did he take them into? The storms. Because you know why? Because Jesus knew that the crowds could actually be more dangerous than the storms. You see that? See, the storms of life, the storms of life are allowed by God to draw us close to him. But the crowds of life can actually draw us away from him. Even Jesus constantly got away from the crowd so he could be alone with his heavenly father. You know, there's, I, I call crowd Christianity. You know, there is crowd Christianity today. Well, we just get together and we just have a lot of fun. We learn a little about, about, about Jesus, but we just do our own thing. Jesus said, you're called to be a radical disciple. You're called to be, you know, a servant of the king, doing the work of the king. Life is more than just a party time. Amen? The truth is God has called every single one of us to this kind of life, to this kind of adventure. Do you guys believe that? Yep. You know what it is? It's a call to get off the sideline. The majority of believers today are sideliners. When Jesus gave this invitation, it was not to the faint-hearted, not for those who were just barely trying to get by spiritually. And it was not for those whose faith is just limited to what God can do for you instead of what you can do for God. When Jesus said, come, follow me, but there was even more. He didn't stop there. Jesus said, follow me. And then he went on to say, it's on your PowerPoint, 
I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out to fish for people. Now, most of us hear the version, I will make you fishers of men. But in this version, this is the TNIF version. Today's new, new international version uses the phrase, Jesus says, I send you out, which captures more of the accurate meaning of what Jesus was trying to say on your PowerPoint. He wasn't calling them. He wasn't, he wasn't just calling them. He was trying to send them. He was sending them out into the world to do his work, to partner with him and join him in his work. That's what he was saying when he said, I will send you out to fish for people. In his book called Kingdom Come, author Reggie O'Neill says this, that life, our life as believers as Christians, is a mission trip. Life is a mission trip. It's a metaphor of how and why we live our lives. The meta, this metaphor expresses the intentionality that undergirds a kingdom perspective. And then he goes on to say, increasing numbers of spiritual leaders are shifting their sense of accomplishment away from how many people are in pews on Sunday to how many people are actively employed in the community during the week and whether the people in the community, as a result, are living better lives as a result. Amen? And he says this, the kingdom purpose, the kingdom purpose equals improving the quality of people's lives physically, practically, spiritually, and bringing the kingdom to light, thereby bringing the kingdom to light in our communities. Amen. Amen. That's where we need to be. You know, just a few weeks ago, um, we went out to a place outside North, uh, um, Monarch, and it was called The Barn, and, uh, and it was a night to honor people who had given their, a big part of their lives to help and to serve people in need. And I'm so proud to say that one of those, there was about six or eight people, and Rachel Thomas, our MP, uh, put this together. She's done it for about two or three years now. And she, she, every year she goes on a hunt to find people who are actually making a difference, helping real people in, with real needs in our city, in our area. And I'm so proud to say that you know, one, one city light people are part, or is one of those that were honored. <laughs> and that's, uh, can you stand up? Steve, Stephen Roach. Stephen Roach is a Red Shield chef, and he's at the soup kitchen every single week feeding those hungry people, and he does it for free, and he loves doing it. This is one thing about Steve. He enjoys life. I wonder, this guy is older than I am, and he's in better shape. He's got more life flowing through him. You know why? Because he's learned how to be a, a, a person who does the work of Jesus in a community. Amen? I believe if Jesus was here, he'd be serving right with Steve, side by side. Thank you so much, Steve, for your service. God bless you.
God bless you. I was going to put up some pictures of you there too as well, but didn't get a chance to do that. The kingdom of God is all about improving the lives of other people. It's physically, spirit, practically, and spiritually. Bringing the light of the glory of God to our communities. So I'm just going to, with that in mind, I want to just take you back. Back to that word we print that we talked about earlier. So question, what was Jesus asking these two brothers to repent of? When he said repent, he was speaking to everybody. Like, so what do these new, to, do these fishermen need to repent of? So we know that they weren't criminals, they weren't slackers, uh, they, they weren't party animals. <clears throat> and as far as we can tell, they were living decent lives. They were churchgoers. They were family men. Uh, they were hardworking. And maybe their language got a bit salty out there on that boat. But as far as we can tell, they were living decent lives. So what did they need to repent of? I feel like I'm pure polyev, asking that question over and over again. If you, if you watch them on the House of Commons. What did they need to repent of? You remember that, that definition. To repent is to turn away from what we're doing and embrace wholeheartedly what God is doing. So, the answer. What did they need to repent of on your PowerPoint? This is what I believe. It wasn't that what they, they were doing was so wrong. It was just that it was too small. They were running a business. Jesus was offering them a mission. They were making a living. Jesus wanted their lives to make a difference. Jesus had something so much bigger, so much better in mind for them than just a pretty good life on the shores of Galilee. And he want, what he wanted of them was to go out and to change the world in his name. Make an impact. Somebody says, when you go out, you know, there, there are over 2,000 scriptures that talk about the poor and about helping the poor. And somebody said, if you want to look into the eyes of God, you want to see the eyes of God looking back at you, just go and start helping somebody who's really poor and in need. Because there'll be, that's God looking back at whatever you do for one of these little minds ones of mine, you were doing for me. It could be that we're living a pretty good life. It could be that, you know, we're following Jesus. But let me say this. But if you're following him for your own sake, to serve your own interests, rather than the interests of others, you haven't joined him in his work in the world. And if that's the case, what Jesus wants us to repent of is not a life that's so wrong, but a life that's too small. You settle for making a, diff- for a living, or you can be making a difference. Amen? You know, Jesus, there are seven spheres of influence in society. God wants to put Christians in every one of them. You know, wherever you're working at, whatever mountain, you know, arts, entertainment, business, education, government, where you are, you're Christ's representative. Amen? You should.
in that particular place. And I guess the, the, point, the point I'm trying to make is this. Where did we ever get the idea that we could follow Jesus and not be on mission? Right? Where do we, get, where do, where do we separate the gospel of going to heaven from the gospel of going into to the world? The last thing that Jesus said was not go to heaven. The last thing that Jesus said was what? Go in, finish it for me, go into all the world. Amen? And make disciples of all nations, every nation. You know, for me, when I first got born again, it was all about me and Jesus. It was about Jesus forgiving me. It was about Jesus being my friend forever. It was about Jesus taking me to heaven after I die. And chances are, it's probably the same for you. It was probably, when you first got born again, it was probably you and Jesus. How Jesus forgives your sins. Or Jesus would uh, um, uh, free you from that addiction. Or how Jesus could give you a peace that you needed that no one else could give you. And that Jesus could send you to heaven. Right? And certainly, I want to say, absolutely, it is about you and Jesus, right? But there's more to the gospel. That's not all the gospel. In fact, I want you to listen to the words of Richard Stern. Richard Stern uh, wrote a book called A Gospel with a Hole in It. A Gospel with a Hole in It. Stern's, picture Richard up there, is president of World Vision, He's an in, which is, of course, an international relief organization. Many of us have heard of it. And he tells a story of being called from his comfortable, lucrative position as CEO of a very prestigious company. <clears throat> and he was asked to take the helm of this struggling non-for-profit business that focused on serving the neediest people in the world. And he said it wasn't easy and it wasn't a quick decision. So I want you to listen. Well, you can read. What he writes in his introduction, I put it on the screen here for you. This is what Stern says. Being a Christian requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. Did we get that? Did you get that? If your personal faith in Christ has no outward expression, then your faith has a hole in it. Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. He said, follow me and I will send you out into the world. The gospel isn't just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and mission. It's about Jesus and others. It's about following Jesus for the sake of of others. Wow. What powerful words. It's about doing good. You think, well, I'm not really preaching the gospel. I'm just, you know, paying for somebody's coffee in the, in the Tim's line. All our good acts, you're improving somebody else's life. You buy groceries for someone. You leave them at the doorstep. You don't even have to put a sign on, it's God, you know, uh, City Light Church. All you do is do it, right? And somehow, God is going to get the glory for that, right? He gets the glory for that. 
Every time we do something good to help people, to bless people, we are extending the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus did. We don't have to put our name on it. We don't have to put our silo, our church name above it, City Light Church. No, it's, it's just the love of Jesus Christ that we as people are naturally supposed to make the world a better place. And you can only do that. You can pray till your, your brains fall out. But when you get out there and you do something and you care for people and you help for people, that advances the kingdom. Pray for sure. But we've got to put the, our, the rubber to the road. Amen? Amen. Acts 10.38. And you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went about doing good. Doing good. I believe that the rest of this year, 2023, should be declared the year of doing good, becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. And into next year, we need to take seriously Jesus' call to go into the world, to be his hands and feet, to act and to do what he was doing as if he was still on the earth. It's literally to be his... We are literally... His hands and feet, touching people, caring people, helping people, and telling them the good news of the kingdom for them. But you know, acts of kindness, no strings attached. You know what they do when you're just nice to your neighbor, when you're kind to people, when you smile? What does it do? What does it do? It creates a bridge. It opens a door. Your gift of service with no strings attached, opens up the door for people. The gift, there's a proverb, the gift opens the way for the giver and ushers them and him into the presence of the great. The gift opens the way for the giver and ushers them into the presence of the great. Powerful scripture. So true, isn't it? And let me say this, as we do good, as we do good, it will not only change the lives of the people that we serve, it will also change us as well. When we start to do good, we will discover this life-changing power of doing good in Jesus' name with no strings attached, wherever we are. How are we doing for time? Can you stand about five more extra minutes of preaching this morning? Okay, all right. Three reasons. I want to give you three reasons for doing good. I want to go through these really quick. Three reasons why we should do good. Number one, it's what we were made for. It's what we were made for. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works, which God what? Prepared in you, in us, prepared in advance for us to do. These verses are very clear. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, right? We were transformed 
to do good works for God. When he saved us and he started to transform us, he made us, he wanted us to become like Jesus who went about doing good work, right? Number one, first reason is what we were made for. Second reason, it's the work of the kingdom. It's the work of the kingdom. Jesus didn't just announce the kingdom of God had come. He demonstrated. He fed the hungry, right? He ministered to the, the hurting. He ministered to lonely people. He blessed their children. He healed people's bodies. And listen, and when we do these things, we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. Number three, it's what the world is looking for. There's a commentator, a Christian commentator, Todd Hunter says, people today aren't asking if Christianity is true. They're asking if Christianity is good. People are tired of hearing us talk about good news. They want us us to be good news to our communities and the world. Jesus said, in the same way, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may what? See your good deeds. And then what will happen? You will glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew Barnett is pastor of the Dream Center in L.A. And he wrote an incredible book. And I remember I read that book probably in less than two hours. only book I've read that fast. It was such a good book. You should get a hold of it. And, and I believe it was in that, that book, or actually I heard him speak in Red Deer at home church, we, where he tells of this struggling lady, and I've told this story before, who was struggling with times of deep depression, even suicide. She was desperate. She went to Matthew's church. She said to Matthew, arrange the time with him because I need counseling. And Pastor Matthew said, I, okay. And she shared all her struggles, her horrid background, all the disappointing things in her life that led to her dis- de- depression. And Matthew said, okay. Man, Pastor Matthew said, okay. I will set up counseling with you. But first I want you to do one, do one thing this weekend. I want you to go home and I want you to bake at least two dozen cookies. And then on Saturday morning at 2 a.m., when our, when our trucks roll out of, uh, of the Dream Center and we hit the inner city at 2 a.m. in the morning and we hit those street people, it's like a whole new culture would come out at about, about 1 or 2 o'clock and be all these people. He says, I want you to take those two dozen cookies. And I want you to hand them out to those people on the streets. And it was about a week, about a month and a half later, Matthew saw her in church and saw this incredible smile. And he said, well, what happened? I, I, I thought you were coming for counseling the next week. And she said, I don't need counseling anymore. He says, all that depression, it just, it, it just, it just lifted. It just left me. He said, I started to get my eyes off of me and all my circumstances and my problems. And I've got my eyes on other people. And God has healed me. God has healed me. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. That's the power of doing God. And, and I guess that's the best part. When we do good, when we do good, then our life becomes very good. So good. Amen. Conclusion. The life of the kingdom is the life that Jesus is calling every single one of us to live. It's the life that 
that he wants all of us to experience. If the, it's a life that is so good, it's a life all about doing good. It's all about following Jesus for the sake of other people. Amen? Do you agree with that? Then send say amen. Amen. Shout amen. Thank you, Father. Amen, Lord. Thank you for this word. Bow your heads. Thank you, Father. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I believe that today, God is speaking to some people. Maybe a person. Maybe you're watching online. And God is saying, I want you, you to experience my goodness. That you don't have to stay, stay captive in your negative situations. I am God the Father. And I created you and I love you. And I want to forgive all your sins. And I want to come into your life. I want you to open up your heart. Come into your heart. And if you give me your old life, I will give you a brand new life through my son, Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you never personally invited Christ into your heart. Then will you say this prayer after me? Simple prayer, but you say it with all your heart. And I promise you, God will come and he will receive you. He will save your soul. He will make you born again. He will begin to. And your life is going to change like never before. Are you ready? If that's you, bow your heads, close your eyes. Say this after me to Jesus, to God. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross and you shed your blood to, to pay for all my sins. Father in heaven, please forgive me for every one of my sins. And today, Lord, Father, I open up my heart and I invite you in. And I ask you to be Savior and to be Lord and King over my life. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.